Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Now, as we think about that good news, though, those of us who placed our faith in Jesus, we're commanded in Scripture to go and to proclaim to others. Uh, and it's really a charge from Jesus that, that Luke will give us at the end of his gospel, just as the other writers of the gospels did as well, that we're charged to go out and to present the good news to others. And, and this charge has not changed over the millennium since the, the, the message was first Given, you know, when Jesus first gave it to his disciples, it is still the message that you and I as believers are to proclaim to others. Although the church today proclaims a lot of different things to people, the gospel is to be the core message because it's the only message that will ultimately transform the lives of men and women eternally. You know, it's the first message when you think about it that was ever preached at the dawning of the church age. You know, I, Peter got, gets up. In fact, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it's a fascinating account because at the end of this, thousands are saved. And, and remember, this is an unschooled man. This is, this is a fisherman. But listen what he preaches. This is the first message that's preached at the dawning of the church, not church as in buildings. Church very much like we are right now. It's not about being in a facility. It's about who we are in Christ. We are the church. But at the dawning of the church, listen what Peter says. He says in verse 14 of, chapter, of Acts chapter 2, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men's servant and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here it comes. Here he's launching into the gospel. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, 
that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Lengthy passage, but you hear the focus. What Jesus did, why he came, who he was, the, the Messiah, the promised one, the Christ. He came, he died, he was resurrected, he seated at the right hand of the Father. Belief in him will save us. It's the message of the gospel. It's the crux of the church from the moment the, the, the proverbial doors of the church were opened. And it's also why it will be the last message preached as human history draws to a close. Because being preached, even, you know, when you think about this, it'll even be preached by an angel who will be sent specifically by God to bring this message to the world one final time. One final opportunity for mankind to hear and to respond to, to this great good news of the gospel which saves before eternal judgment consumes them. Listen, Revelation chapter 14 describes this final preaching of the gospel. Revelation 14, beginning in verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. From the very beginning of the church, to the very end of it all, the gospel will be preached. And I would argue since the very fall in the garden, the gospel was already being preached. Although they didn't know Jesus by name yet, they didn't know who he was or how this would all be worked out, but they knew because it was given to them in the garden from the very moment that Adam and Eve fell in sin, 
and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, which is what man does, tries to cover his or her sins with their good works, with all of this other stuff, but it never really covers. And God says that that wasn't sufficient. And what he did instead is he went and he killed one of the animals in the garden and gave them skins and covered them, a sacrifice that was made pointing to Jesus. And then in Genesis 3.15, the promise of, of one day, the work that he would do on their behalf for mankind's sin, all given. And all of the Old Testament scriptures, the prophets, the law, it was all pointing to Jesus, the law given so that we would realize that we could not attain righteousness on our own, that we couldn't do it. We can't even keep 10 simple commandments. We can't do it as righteously as God demands. And throughout, the prophets are speaking and foreshadowing and pointing to the coming Messiah the one who would come and do this. David knew it, and here Peter even referred to him. David knew it. David foresaw it, and yet he didn't know Jesus. But he looked forward to the day that God would do it. And then when Jesus came, he sat and he looked at these Pharisees and these religious leaders who were trying to make them right, themselves righteous and demanding a righteousness from the people through the things that they would do. And Jesus looks and he tells them, he says, you know the scriptures, you know the scriptures inside and out, and yet you're missing the very fact that they they all point to me. They all point to me. From the very beginning, from the book of Genesis, to the very conclusion of our scriptures in the book of Revelation, to the end of the time, from beginning of time to the end of the time, the gospel message is the core message that's given to us in the scriptures. And it is the core message of the gospel that you and I are now commanded to preach and complain, and, and not complain, I'm sorry, to proclaim to our world today. Like the Apostle Paul, we say boldly, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And like Paul, we preach it because we know the power that it contains. Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. As we consider this biblical mandate, we're thinking about the gospel as we begin this, and now we see our call to this. As we consider this, it should make us ask why the modern church today is preaching so many other valueless messages, messages that have little or nothing to do with the things that the gospel is concerned with and which ultimately makes really the things that they're preaching makes the gospel of no effect. Some are making the gospel of no effect by preaching the message contained in the gospel along with some other requirements. It's a, a Jesus plus message. Anytime you hear someone give you the simple message of truth of what Jesus has done for you and, and faith alone in him, and you hear that word, but, or and, your ears should perk right up. Look, that kind of preaching and teaching is diametrically opposed to what the gospel is all about, and it is clearly condemned by Scripture. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. 
Paul's saying, man, if what you're looking for is to have Jesus plus the keeping of all kinds of rules and expectations, that it's a combination of both, you're trusting in some law in a sense, you're trying to go there. Legalism is exactly that. Churches that teach law, he's saying, man, you're making, you're making the promise of the good news of the gospel, you're making it of no effect. Jesus came because we couldn't keep the law, because we couldn't do all of these other things. He came to fulfill it for us. And again, that's not to take away from, from living righteously or from the things that we do now do as believers, but now we do it through dependency upon him and no dependency upon us, no expectation upon us that somehow we have to attain in order to be pleasing to God. Jesus took care of that with his own sacrifice. He made us pleasing to God. And now he says, now walk, now begin to walk, now begin to live as I'm commanding you to. As the book of Acts chapter 2 verses uh, beginning in verse 11 records and, and really declares to us that we look at this. I, actually, I'll just come down to, to verse 13 there of Acts chapter 3 and verse 13. But he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us for his written, written curse is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul says, look, the law, he's not negating the law. He's not saying the law was not unimportant, but actually that verse is following a passage where he's challenging other believers who were trying in the early days to turn around and saying, well, you know what? Yes, Jesus did this for us, but you know what? We still need to teach people to follow the law and to do all these things as though that combination is what saved them. And Paul's saying, no, Jesus is the one that just redeemed us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul says this, Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, talking to a people who are making it Jesus plus, who were saying it's about faith in Jesus, but you have to do the following things. You still have to follow the following religious requirements in order to be acceptable to God. He says this, uh, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul's addressing this because of what the Judaizers, that was the formal name for them, the Judaizers. They were the ones who believed in Jesus, but also believed in the law and believed it was the combination of two. And he's saying, you know what? Let them be a curse for that kind of teaching. It's a perversion of the truth of the gospel. It takes away from the good news because what it does is it now places the responsibility back on you to become acceptable to God to be righteous enough to be accepted by him. That's not good news because the Bible is very clear that we're lawbreakers, not law keepers. And so 
people take the gospel message and they distort it by teaching all these other things in addition to it. Others make the gospel of no effect by preaching secondary issues in its place. As Paul recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 14, he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14 of his own ministry, he said, I thank God that I, God, that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Was Paul saying baptism was unimportant? No, he wasn't. But he was saying that the primary focus for which God has called him, and I would suggest to you for which God has called us, is to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of the gospel, and then that will lead us to all of these other things, you see. But we're not doing these other things because somehow those other things are equally as important to the gospel in terms of our salvation and saving us. No, they're important. They don't save us. What saves us is the good news that the gospel gives us of Christ's finished work upon the cross and our repentance of who we are as fallen human beings, recognizing that we can't save ourselves, that our sin is separating us from God, being willing to put our faith in Christ and our belief in him alone. That is the message and the good news of the gospel. Yet there are others who make the gospel of no effect by making it into nothing more than an academic presentation, worried more about the theological sounding words than the message actually contained in the gospel. As Paul goes on to point out in that same passage there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he goes on, I'll just read that whole thing again, beginning verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanos. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Listen what he says. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. You know what? There's a lot of people out there who sound very theological. And look, I'm not knocking people who, who are very theological. I'm not. But when we make the theological sounding words more important than the message itself, there's a problem. There's a real problem with that. I sometimes look back to the book of Acts and I realize that part of the reason I believe that, that, that the message was so powerful is because look who God chose to deliver it. Fishermen, former zealots, tax collectors, guys who'd never been through any formal theological training, but they were men who, as the scripture said, people knew that they'd been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. And you know, the truth is, the more you and I are with Jesus, the less theological sounding our message becomes of the gospel and the more impacting it becomes. And again, that's not to say we shouldn't study. It's not to say that we shouldn't be careful of the words that we choose and share. Absolutely. But at the same time, what about just simple dependency upon the Holy Spirit? Simple dependency that the Spirit's going to give us the right words at the right time to share with the people that express to them what the gospel contains. But so much concern with all of the packaging today. All of the packaging. Nah. And finally, there are those that make the gospel of no effect by simply preaching things that have nothing to do with it at all. I'm not even talking about, they're not even secondary issues. They're just worthless issues. Worthless messages that, that are abounding in churches today. How to be successful in life. I want you to be successful in life? Sure I do. But I understand this. 
your success in spiritual things and in your eternal future is more important than your job success today. Do I believe that as you live the gospel of Christ that you may be more successful? Maybe and maybe not. Maybe truly living for Christ will cost you your job. Maybe truly living for Christ will will cost you that raise or that promotion at work or your friendships with people. What the world considers success may not be what God considers success. And yet we see today in the church this adaptation of messages that are really promoting more of a worldly idea than a biblical idea. How to live your best life now. Well, I don't have any doubt that that being in Christ is my best life now. He came to give me abundant life. But you know what? That abundant life might be coming filled with lots of travail and, and persecution and difficulties and sufferings. You know, I've even seen messages that were posted on billboards of churches today of how to garden more effectively as a Christian. We have gardening classes in our midweek service or how to weave baskets while singing praise songs. I'm sort of jesting there, but it's almost like that kind of attitude that, that these are somehow important to God's people. And this is what we need to present to the world. This is the messages we got to get because it'll get them interested spiritually. You know what? The disciples never did that. They simply preached the good news of Jesus, who he was, what he came to do and what he had done for them. So in light of these things, let me ask you, what are you preaching to men and women? The true gospel or something else, something that in the end is valueless and waters down or distorts the simple truth contained in the gospel, things that produce worthless and non-lasting fruit? Every one of us as Christians should consider and take to heart Paul's declaration, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, regarding the preaching of the gospel. Listen, actually, I'll begin in verse 18. He says this, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 9, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so Luke, like all the other gospel writers, is going to convey the heart of the message that you and I are to proclaim to others and which we're to cling to with all of our hearts because it is the message of the gospel that matters above all else. Now, let's shift back to this gospel of Luke. Why are there, first of all, why are there four gospels? This is, as I said, one of the four gospels. Well, all four contain the very same message of good news, Each presents a different aspect of Jesus' life and ministry, and they are written with different audiences in mind. For example, Matthew has been called the Gospel of the King. It was written primarily with Jews in mind, and it was one of the primary purposes of writing was to show from Jesus' genealogy and fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, which Matthew quotes continuously, that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, and that he should be believed in as such by the Jews. 
And the emphasis is that Jesus is the promised king, the son of David, who would forever sit upon the throne of Israel. Now, because Matthew was primarily written with Jews in mind, does that mean it has no application for us? No, absolutely not. In fact, it gives us a perspective of who Jesus is in this role that we need to understand. But that was Matthew's focus. The book of Mark, on the other hand, has been called the gospel of the suffering servant. The gospel of suffering servant, it was written with Gentiles, you and me primarily in mind. Among other things, his exclusion of important, you know, things that would have been important to Jewish readers, the genealogies, Jesus's controversies with the leaders, the Jewish leaders of his day, uh, frequent references to the Old Testament, etc., are left out along with explanations, but, but were given explanation of customs that would, would, would not have had to been explained to Jewish readers. Mark incorporates these kind of explanations in there and clarifying descriptions that Jews would have been familiar with, but the rest of us are not. And so based on those things, we realize that Mark was writing primarily with Gentiles in mind. And Mark's gospel also places emphasis on Christ as the suffering servant, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, unlike the Matthew's gospel, which portrayed him as king. Mark also reflected Jesus' deeds more than his words. Uh, the Gospel of John is often referred to as the Gospel of the Son of God. It was written to Jews and Gentiles alike, and it emphasizes the deity of Christ, and it's seen in such uses of phrases like the Word was God, John 1.1, 1, 1. Um, John 4.42, the Savior of the world. Uh, Son of God is used repeatedly throughout the book of, of John, and Lord and God, he says in John chapter 20 and verse 28. So John clearly affirms Jesus' deity by specifically highlighting these kinds of things, and then the I am statements that he, he points out to, while at the same time, he emphasizes Jesus's humanity, desiring to counter the Gnostics who believed in Jesus, but denied the fact that he was truly God, that he was just a great man in a sense, sent by God. John's gospel has also been called the gospel of love because of the emphasis he places upon Jesus's love for us and our need to love one another. And so he presents him as God. He, he clarifies that for us, but he also shows us God's love that was being revealed through Jesus. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.